Today's scripture today from Malachi 3. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. And then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord, yet you ask, what have we said against you? Well, you have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Malachi 3. Thank you, Artis. Well, good morning, everybody. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Chad White. Um, we're several hats here uh, restoration. I've been part of the family since basically the beginning. Um, this morning, I get to, to preach to you a little bit, so bear with me, and uh, we'll get through this the best we can. Um, to date, I think this is one of the hardest sermons I've had to write. Um, I had this great idea of what to speak to you about and Garrett probably did a much better job of delivering it to you last week. <laughs> um, so then I thought, um, I had a new theme. 
And then I got the news that uh, one of our church family uh, was in a car accident. It was ICU in the hospital. Um, this kind of rocked my world a little bit, and this information changed the notion of what I had to speak on. And I really had no idea how to address the feelings and questions that a lot of us are feeling right now. I realized that God will often lead us where we're uncomfortable and possibly feel ill-equipped. And we need to remember that, excuse me, deep breath. We need to remember that this is, is so God is glorified rather than our desires or our theology being glorified. With that in mind, will you please pray for me, or pray with me, for me too. It's, it's going rough. <laughs> Father God, you are good, and you have our best interest in mind. Please let your words and your message come through this morning. I ask for your guidance and wisdom to lead me through this message, and I ask that you would open hearts and minds to hear what you would have to say. Amen. So the exciting part of this lesson is that through all the difficulty of writing the message, uh, Malachi 3 has been the go-to verse. It's amazing to me how this small chapter can speak into so many different situations. This chapter has the promise of the Messiah, it has judgment, it has instruction, and it has redemption. But most of all, it shows the love God has for his people. I'm going to use some of the tools that I've learned in men's group to explain this to you. So let me explain what those tools are. First of all, the assumptions uh, that you approach scripture with matter. These are the filters and perceptions that you have about the Bible. These filters and perceptions are going to affect the way that you read and what you believe in the Bible. Some of these filters include what your parents believed and did their words match their actions. Your past experiences with other people, whether good or bad. The culture that you were raised in. Did you grow up in the US or overseas? Or even what part of the US you grew up in? The culture that you live in now, including friends you hang out with, people you know. All of these and more influence your filter. A filter in and of itself is not necessarily a good or a bad thing, but we do need to be aware that it is there. One of the biggest Bible filters would probably be, is the Bible human document or God's word? This was a tough hurdle for me. I had to come to the realization that scriptures are God-breathed and not just a bunch of people, excuse me, a bunch of moral people writing stories. I believe that the Bible is a story of God reaching out to a broken people. Without the Bible being God-breathed, it's just a really nice story. The Covenant and Restoration Church states its view of Scripture in this way. The Holy Scripture, the Old and the New Testament, is the Word of God, the only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct. When we believe that, the Bible comes alive, and we can start to see the guidance and wisdom that it has to offer. Next, let me say that context matters. We can take anything in the whole Bible and conform it to what we want to believe. For example, I'd like to introduce you to my new life verse. I'm actually thinking of getting a t-shirt with this on it. It's Job 27.5, and it reads, I will never admit you are in the right. 
Pretty cool, right? <laughs> you can pull a verse out, a Bible verse out for your next argument. <laughs> Unfortunately, this is taken completely out of context, but it kind of gets the point across. It's not very kind or loving, and it's not what we're to learn from this verse. And just so you know, uh, this verse is part of Job defending himself against false accusations. Then we have community. Community is a hard one for me to swallow as an introvert. But community is important. Even from the beginning, God said it is not good for man to be alone. We are designed and function best with a supportive community around us. This works for the Bible as well. We're not always going to be the one who interprets a verse. Other people may have a different view of a verse. George S. Patton said, if everyone's thinking alike, then somebody isn't thinking. I think one of the best things about men's group that I attend is the fact that we all have different views and filters, but we put everything on the table and we work together and we get a much richer point of view. I cannot even begin to tell you all the times I've come away from group with a different, more insightful view of what we were reading. And go on to say, it's okay if you have questions. Nobody has all the answers. And anyone who tells you otherwise is trying to sell you something. But when we have questions, we need to make sure we're subjecting these questions and our issues to scriptural evaluation, remembering to keep the evaluations in context. We want to grasp the critical explanation or interpretation of a text and avoid the interpretation of a text by reading it into one's own ideas. Putting aside our filters and perceptions and reading the Bible in context and accountability of community. Community matters. So how does it all work together? Let's take a little deeper look into Malachi. If context does matter, let's put a little context into Malachi. Malachi is a contemporary of Ezra and Nehemiah the book of Malachi can be dated to about 450 B.C. Malachi is addressing the nation of Israel after their return from captivity and the start of them rebuilding their identity as God's people. While we do not have Malachi's whole story, what we have helps us to realize who's being addressed, what's being said, and why it is important in God's story. And remember, the Bible is is God reaching out to build a relationship with us. Then we can move into the text itself. If you notice, I'm going to use the same layout as the NIV translation for my breaks. And while these breaks are not in the original text, they do make it a little easier to understand what's happening. I'm going to go through this a little rapidly, so if you have questions, please come and talk to me afterwards. In verses one, excuse me, verses 1 through 5, God reiterates his promise of the Messiah and a messenger that will come before him, the judgment that will come, and ultimately the new covenant that will endure. This is where we can see the God-breathed part. In verse 1, Malachi prophesizes about John the Baptist and Jesus a little over 400 years before their arrival. Then Malachi goes on to explain that the Messiah will bring judgment but will also bring about a people who will offer sacrifices in righteousness. Now in verses 6 and 7, we get to see God's grace. He is never changing, and because of this, we are not destroyed. He loves us 
despite our flaws. God is asking us to come back to him and trust him and in his provisions. Verses 8 through 12 are a prosperity gospel stream. If you give, you get, right? Wrong. God is calling Israel to obedience. Israel has been neglecting their worship, and Malachi is calling them out on this. And this is where the context tool comes into play. Remember, Malachi is a contemporary of Nehemiah, so we can use the book of Nehemiah to understand or put into context what the situation is here. Nehemiah explains how the people of Israel were not bringing the tithes and offering into the temple, meaning that the priests and the Levites, or temple workers, had nothing to live on. The, temp the temple and God were being neglected because there are no priests or workers in the temple to carry out daily worship. Malachi is telling Israel that they need to be obedient and tithe so that God can be worshipped according to the old covenant. That was then. So how does this apply for today? God is asking and is asked for your obedience. Do you trust him enough to know that he has your best interest in mind regardless of what's going on around you? Which brings us into the next section. Verses 13 through 15. Malachi reminds Israel and us that if you're only serving God for his protection and provision, you're missing the whole point. We are to worship and serve God because he is holy and deserving of all of our praise. These verses are a reminder that sometimes evil people prosper and that bad things can happen to good people if for no other reason than we live in a broken world. Verses 16, 17, and 18 are the verses that have brought me comfort this week. Malachi expresses the hope and community that we can have in God. In verses 16, or excuse me, in verse 16, we can see a community at work. God's people get together and talk it out. They're resolved and determined to follow God. They're experiencing the same trials and tribulations that the others around them have, but they are determined and have strength when they stand together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it this way, Christian community is not an ideal we have to realize, but rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. These people chose to follow God despite the outcome, and God listened to them and promised them a day when evil is judged and the righteous do prosper. This again, God's love for us, and we can live in the same promise. A Christian life does not necessarily mean trouble-free life. Jesus himself tells that we will face trials and tribulations. And both Peter and Paul write about trials and how they refine our faith, but can result in glory and honor when Jesus returns. We have trials in our lives for several reasons. Sometimes it's a test set before us to refine our faith, other times, it's a consequence for poor choices. But I think the hardest trial we face in life is when we suffer the consequences for other people's poor choices. Please remember to treat any of these hurting people the same way you would want to be treated. You know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It still works. Nobody wants to hear that God has a plan for their troubles. 
just makes you kind of want to high-five them in the face. <laughs> Instead, show the love of Jesus to them and simply sit in the dust with them and pray and trust God. As we close, we're going to enter a time of prayer for the Tanakas. Elena is the church member that I mentioned at the beginning of this message who was in the car accident. She's still in ICU, and Wes has reached out for prayers and support, and we as a community are working to meet these needs. So if you would please humble yourselves and pray silently for a moment, and then Allison's going to come up and lead us in a time of corporate prayer. So if you'd bow your heads with me. Father God, I thank you. Thank you that you are gracious and holy. And I pray that you would step into this time and that you would hear these prayers and that you would answer them in a way that is powerful and brings you glory. Bring your request before God. Heavenly Father, as we're instructed, Jesus, we thank you. We come before you with gratefulness. We come before you knowing that your mercies are new every day. And Father, as many of us in this room and who are in this church community have been burdened, a heavy burden this week. The unthinkable, a split second decision has changed the course of a family's life. But Jesus, I'm reminded that your yoke is heavy and your burden is light. So Jesus, in this time, I want to lift up a number of people to you first. God, we lift up and we surround Elena. Jesus, in your name, we surround her with your spirit because where your spirit is, there is healing and there is freedom and there is power. Jesus, where you are, there are so many intangible things that we have no idea that you're doing. And God, when we want to grab, when we want to grab onto something tangible in a time of heavy burden and sorrow and sadness and questions, God, we're reminded that you work in so many intangible ways. And I'm reminded, Jesus, of this powerful lyric that says, in the process and in the waiting, you're making melodies over us. Jesus, sing your melodies of healing and hope and restoration in Elena's mind, in her body, in her spirit. Jesus, as your church body, we surround her with our corporate prayers, God. We plead with you to heal her in ways that we don't even know are, are manageable. Lord Jesus, I lift up her husband, Wes. 
in the waiting, in the questions, in the silence, God, I ask that you speak to him and you surround him with a heavenly hug that only you can provide. God, I ask that you give him rest, that you give him wisdom, that you crown him with a strength to be such a rock for his family right now. And Jesus, I lift up her precious babies to you. I lift up Ruth and I lift up Henry. God, I ask that in this time of challenge and question and crying and wondering, Jesus, that they would know that you are so there with them. And that you would allow them to grasp onto the intangible comfort that you bring not only as a father, but also as our mom caring and love and compassion and soothing Jesus and God I lift up Wes's family and those in Elena's family and close friends who are who have dropped so much of their life to be that support system I ask that you equip them with the tools the resources the rest the patience to take care of this family. (laughs) Father, we believe, we believe, Jesus, and we declare that you are a God of healing and you are a God of restoration. So in Jesus' name, we pray and we command that you continue to heal Elena's body, that you provide full restoration and that we would be able to be a church community that not only wraps their arms around them in prayer, but supports them in the coming months because this is a long road. And when our Facebook posts and when the Caring Bridge site starts to fade away, that we would remain strong and that you would remain strong in providing them with what they need. You are a good, good father we declare your goodness today Jesus we declare your goodness over Elaine over Wes over Henry over Ruth we lift them up Jesus not only today but we continue to lift them and we lay our burdens our questions our sorrow our anger at the feet at the feet of the cross Jesus, as we mentioned, your yoke is heavy, God, but your burden is light. We cast our burdens on the one who took it and who takes it every single day. We pray all of this in the powerful, in the heavenly, and in the constant name of Jesus. 
Amen.